Hi, Mark. Hi, Will. There's no John here today. Thankfully not. He's on holiday. Mm. He's in Mallorca, if you want to go and find him, mm. which means his house is uh, unguarded. Yep. And Any angry Castleford Tigers fans want to nip round to John's and um, deface the place, mm. more than welcome. Easy to get in, actually. They keep a key under the flower pot around the back. They do. Um, where are they again? It's, um, we'll, we'll put the full address out yeah, later, yeah. but on the some link. valuable goods in there. Mm. Uh, very sort of hipsterish paintings and a lot of sort of Carhartt things and beanies, lots of beanies, beanies. vintage beanies. Yeah. Things that he farming did. stuff, farming golf clubs. He's taken up golf recently, he has, hasn't he? Yeah, he plays a lot of golf, doesn't he? He does. Doesn't doesn't necessarily do much sort of you know business work. And you're, you're, I know your friends still, but just about. But still, we're always to be business partners. He's still business partners, still friends, still podcast How many partners. How has he had this year? Probably similar amount to me, so it's fine. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay. Okay. Um, anyway, for the guest this week, I thought off the back of. Um, of watching the Grand National at Aintree, I thought we needed, we needed a noble Yates. Was that the name of the horse? Yeah, yeah. You didn't watch it. I did. I did. Um, Luke Yates is with us. Yes, I welcome Luke. Captain. Luke, thanks, thanks, so thanks for having me. I'm, uh, I'm not much of a horse racing guy, but you know, <laughs> yeah, that's news to me. But we, we should explain how you've basically come to be on this podcast. Not that we didn't want you on this podcast, Luke, but uh, but you were ringing. Well, it yeah. was always, Luke was always on the list. Yeah. Um, for people to invite this year because fast tracked. Been fast tracked. Um, Jamie Peacock was supposed to be here. Unfortunately, he pulled out. Oh, I wasn't going to uh, call Jamie out, but you've done it. No, no, he was going to come, and then something's cropped up. He couldn't make valid it. Valid reason. It's a valid reason. Uh, I got the text whilst in uh, the coffee shop, and yeah. as I got the text, Luke Yates walks past the toilet. <laughs> I thought he'll do. What did he shout? Yatesy. Yatesy. What are you doing? <laughs> what are you doing later, mate? I thought he was um, asking me for a beer too. And I was no, like, oh, nothing. No, why? And then not, not this time. <laughs> just for, basically, we've just forced you to come on the podcast. Which yeah. Is yeah. Kicking and screaming. <laughs> yeah. It's, it, uh, the amount of time I spent in this coffee shop and flash that it owes me. Well, I know the feeling. The amount of money we spent in this coffee shop. That's the thing. We're keeping them too keeping much. Them going. Exactly. Um, so, mate, look, it's going to be really good to have a, a nice little chat with you over the, over the next hour. And as I say to all the guests, the, the doors are locked, um, so there's no leaving until an hour's up. You don't have to say anything for an hour. You could sit here in silence, but the doors will open again in an hour's time. So I feel I'll, do, I'll do my best here, yeah. <laughs> uh, mate, let's take you right back, because I'd, I'd be honest, it's the first time we've met, and obviously you know Mark from, from Salford days, which we'll get into later. But um, childhood for you in, in Oz, take us right back there. Family, what right was that back, like? Yeah, yeah. so my, oh, my mum's a Kiwi, my dad's Australian, so we're from Newcastle. Um, came through just uh, in well, Lake Macquarie side and then moved into Newcastle, Newcastle when I was eight. And then I started playing league. Then I was, I was playing soccer back then, soccer, football. Nice. Yeah, <laughs> but my dad was the coach of me, uh, my soccer team and I was dreadful at it. Yeah. And then we uh, we moved um, to Newcastle and I said, there's a lad up the road that so was playing league and he was a couple years older than me. I'd flog him down the park and they're like, why don't you go play league? So I thought. So you're, you're built from it from a young age? Yeah, I was a little tubby kid. A little nugget. Still tubby kid well, now. Mark just called you, before we came, I might call you the, the cube. Is that yeah, yeah, he's got a body. Oh, he's got a body like SpongeBob Square Pants. Yeah, it's just that cute. Body. Yeah, it's nice, but it's just very square. Yeah. Um, Robust. It's good to see that. I'm like a fucking Yeah, it's good to see that Flash has gone the, yeah. the skinny fat now, the skinny arms and legs. Oof. To the pudding Controversial. Uh, Carbs haven't really developed no. after it, didn't they? Yeah. Carbs are still pending, yeah. <laughs> still pending. pending. <laughs> so so that was the Kiwi influence in the family, because uh, you said you mentioned soccer, but was that more of a union influence? 
Um, no, it was, it was my mum, my yeah, she wasn't She wasn't either either league or, yeah. or union. She was sort of either or. She's from the South Island. I'm thinking um, granddad and men on that side of the family. Yeah, 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 yeah. So we've got family in Christchurch, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's where she's Was there a strong um, Kiwi presence in the household? We had Elijah Taylor on last week who spoke fondly of his childhood and the Kiwi and the Maori kind of heritage that he, he kind of got brought up with. Was that similar for you? Uh, I don't think the heritage is much, but mum's, we're not Maori, we're, we're white Kiwis, um, but uh, she, she has like, she likes her paintings and traditional sort of sort of stuff. We've got like a, a tiki mask um, in the in the house, but I wouldn't say I was brought up like traditionally New Zealand, Australian, like it's pretty well the same thing now, nowadays. Yeah. It's so, so so close, it's just a bit better, better weather at home. So we can't get you to do a hacker or anything? Uh, no, <laughs> i embarrass myself. So, um, Born in Newcastle, and obviously ended up playing for, for Newcastle in the NRL as well. But rewinding a little bit, just for those who've never been to, to New South Wales and that part of the world, what was it like growing up there? And 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 you know your your sort of sporting heroes, the the influences for you as a kid. It was it was it was pretty crazy actually, because like where we moved, like I could see the stadium, but like the it was Energy Australia Stadium, but mm. where Newcastle played of out of now from my back fence. So. It was always sort of there in the background and we had such legends playing for the club at the time like Andrew Johns, Danny Badiris, Steve Simpson, Ben Kennedy. Like those just so they they won a comp in nineteen ninety seven, two thousand and three. Mm. So there was just like a there was a pretty strong rugby league influence in Newcastle at the time and there was a you know, the grassroots sort of game was probably thriving around that area at the time. So yeah, it was just a massive that's all we'd sort of do, just uh, play our play our footy and then to the beach and all that's there. Mm. Um, There's not many stronger rugby league heartlands than Newcastle in, in Australia, is there? It's a very blue working, blue collar city as well, yeah, isn't it's, it? Yeah, it's traditionally called the Steel City, but yeah, it's like, it's like well, the Hunter Valley itself has got a lot of mines in it, so it just brings in a lot of people coming either to play their footy and work in the mines or, you know, yeah, it's very, very working class. Like my dad's working on the in the coal industry now as a coal tester before they get on the boats and that, so it's predominantly. That's what it. Well, it sounds like out. our Newcastle. It sounds like our Sheffield. If it's the Steel City, you know, it's, it's equivalent to kind of like a northern town compared to London being Sydney. Yeah, 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 very much so. Yeah, yeah. So um, I like that image that you painted there. Out the back fence, you could see the see the stadium. Was that was that the dream? Even as a kid, then, or is it? Just, yeah. Did it just work out being the, the uh, dream come it, true? It was, I, I just like I just love playing footy and just being with my mates. But then, we, we, obviously, any time like we used to get free tickets through playing. You play grassroots rugby league over there; they'll give you tickets for the Knights game. So mm. that was any of the time of the Knights game was a massive buzz around, like people parking at the back of our house. So it was just sort of it was so it was quite cool to sort of come through in that process and mm. and seeing you know the, how the community re reacts when the team's going well and when the team's not going so well it's sort of the the vibe of the town sort of goes on how the team playing at the at the, at the time and then you know I eventually got through and started playing there playing first grade there but it's like I'll be driving to the game but trying to get through the crowd from my back fence like I'd, I'd pull out and I'll just be amongst the traffic trying to get to the, the <laughs> stadium <laughs> but um yeah it's it, it was a yeah a massive goal for me I think once it started to become more Realistic when I started playing for the Knights yeah. when I was under 15s or 16s. What What was your first rugby league memory? Can you Can you think of it? Can you think of a moment even you know well before you you set foot in that stadium or win the training ground? Yeah, my first game uh, we played in, on the Central Coast, a place called Wyong. My mum's got a, still got a photo of me before my first game, and I've just got a like a Steve Steve Menzies headgear on, <laughs> my mouth guard, shoulder pads all geared up and smiling. So. 
I think we played that game and just got a couple of tries. And obviously my soccer career wasn't going too well at the time. So <laughs> yeah. I was just like, I sort of found something that I was okay at. So I was, yeah. I was buzzing, yeah. And was it always going to be rugby league in the sense that, because you, you played for Western Suburbs as well, didn't you, before, yeah. before going to Newcastle? So, and I always find those moments really interesting, even just speaking to Mark and, and, and John about that. When was the sort of moment where you as a kid and how does, how does that work in a kid's brain? Because obviously your parents have a big influence on in this and they think, you know, they're talking to coaches and that this guy could make a, a real crack of this. But when was the moment that you thought this could be a, a lifetime choice? Um, probably when I was about 16, 17, like we, we started to come through and there's like big competitions where all the clubs or like the academy type of stuff for 16s and 18s and stuff like that. And then, you know, I, I started making uh, the, six, the 16s and 18s New South Wales teams to play against the Queensland before the State of Origins. And it was mm. sort of like, sort of seen a pathway there and you're like, you know, the people that had played that, you know, four years before me, three years before me, we're now starting to play first grade. Mm -hmm. So you're sort of seeing like, well, if I'm on that tracking path, you know, I, I think, you know, if I can maintain where I'm at and keep transitioning and progressing, hopefully I can make it to that sort of stage. It's probably about 16, 17, yeah. I started seeing a sort of pathway. And at that stage, and I guess even younger, are you are you a rugby league nerd? I mean, are you someone who would, you know, because you, you said this- He's, he's a rugby league court. nerd now. Flash will say just, that, just yeah. A nerd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, but do you know what I mean? Are you, are you sort of the whole kind of, you know, the equivalent back here of the Panini and football collecting stickers? And, you know, because you, cause you, oh. you mentioned some names there. I mean, there's some some big time ballers playing for in the NRL when you would have been growing up. Yeah, yeah, I was. I wouldn't say I was collecting stamps and stuff like that, but um, I, I, was, I loved it. Yeah, but I think I was more just. I, I loved watching Newcastle play, and like even like I, I used to go watch Western Suburbs play Western Newcastle play, and think you know I'd watch this crowd and how would they react down there, and I was just think, well, if I could get a game and, and play here, that'd be unbelievable. And I remember like them people, people celebrating like hundred games for West. I was thinking that's that's crazy. How good is that? So it's mm. sort of like I'd more be inclined to you know, driven to watch and, and play for teams that I was around locally at the time, like West and then Newcastle. And then my dad was always massive in the state of origin and get pumped up for that. So it was just mm. sort of like stuff that sort of related to me. I was, I was always really uh, excited about. Mm. How much, you mentioned your dad there. I mean, because Mark, you can relate to this. How much of an influence and on, on a helpful side was, was your dad? Was he at all, was he at all pushy? Was it always going to be like, come on, Luke, you're going to be an NRL player? Not, or not at all. He, he, he's my biggest fan, to be honest. Like he, he absolutely loves it, but he's not, he wasn't like, sometimes he'd make me sort of like, you know, there's some blokes would be on for a run now, like something like that, but he'd be dropping, the, yeah, he'd drop me little hints and stuff like that, but he wasn't in any sense. Well, like you're getting too QB, Luke. No, no, <laughs> oh mate, I was a tubby kid, but <laughs> I was always pretty fit. Um, but yeah, he would sort of drop in little little hints and stuff like that, but he was never, you know, you got to go do this, you got to do that. I was uh, always pretty driven and self-motivated as, as from a pretty young age anyway, so he didn't really have any effect on that, but he was always super, super supportive of me, mm. you know, wherever I went. And I think he'd just sort of watch me play through rosy glasses. Like, if anything, I'd, oh, mate, you killed it there. You'd, like, it was very, uh, even if I have a bad game, he'd be telling me I play good. So, uh, yeah. massive support. That motivation needs to be intrinsic as well, doesn't it? So, you know, when I was growing up, my dad would like to say stuff like that, but, and I'd always train as well. I'd do stuff on the side. I'd do extra running, extra weights. Because I think if it's just from a parent pushing you, as soon as the parents not looking or you spend a bit of time away, mm. you don't do those things. And it's, I think that's got a shelf life, that kind of, not pushy parenthood, but just that kind of motivation from external factors. As soon as you're on your own, or as soon as you move to the UK, you kind of lose them, that kind of, that push if, if it's not from yourself. 
Yeah, yeah. I'd, like, yeah, Dad was never obviously pushing with me, but I would just, you know, I'd, I'd, we were very self-motivated and we liked watching, you know, boxes and that train, you know, me and a couple of mates would watch that type of stuff. So, like, we just thought... So you can box? We, no, no, not at all, not at all. But, like, in terms of just, you know, keeping on top of things. Yeah. I, I remember when I was at Newcastle, I think I was 17, playing 18s. Um, and I used to just think, like, the harder you train, the better, better you're going to be. And I felt bad. I felt, like, unfitted at a captain's run. So I went for, like, mm. a 5K run after captain's run day before a game. And one of the one of the, one of the someone to do with the club see me on the road run the day before the game and then come in and just razz me. It was like, what are you doing? I was like, I, don't, I, don't, I just felt unfit. I wanted to do something, you know what I mean? Like, I, just, I, was a bit, I was a bit stupid when I was a bit younger, but I just wanted to work hard and you know I think once I seen that pathway I just want to do anything everything in my power yeah. to be able to put myself in, in in the frame of playing first grade what were the other passions at, at this stage because recently we had as Mark said Elijah Taylor on who unbelievably has a commercial pilot's license and as soon as he finishes he'll be probably flying us over to to Sydney on Qantas amazing really and put all those hours in and obviously has the brain and the capacity to be able to do that but for example if, if Luke Yates wasn't a Super League and an NRL player, what would he have been? Mate, I have no idea. <laughs> um, I'm, uh, I've got a pretty good interest in like the strength and conditioning side of things, so I'm going to go and do a degree in that starting later on this year, hopefully get something sorted there. But, you know, I feel like I probably pigeonholed myself a lot into becoming into this rugby league player, like once I sort of realised the dream and... Mm. I think I just invested everything into that through through them years, yeah. Sometimes if you have a backup plan, it's too easy to fall back on it. It's yeah. too easy to kind of, if things aren't working out for you, to go, oh, well, I'll just sack off and do plan B. Mm. I think you find a lot of people in sport that are successful put all their eggs in one basket and then they don't have another option. They've just got to give it everything they've got. Sounds like you probably did the same thing. Yeah, I think I've done that, but I wish I didn't. Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so that's why I'm trying to work on a plan It'll B now. I'm, get, I'm, get, I'm, I'm 27 now. 27. So yeah, so I've got plenty of time to, to get something sorted yeah. before I we'll finish We'll talk about playing. that later, because that is an interesting topic, sort of life after rugby, and, and when you start to think about that. And there's no textbook, is there? I mean, you guys have been lucky. You've worked your ass off, you and John, but you've kind of you, you've got something in place. Let's, let's rewind and, and go through to when you arrived at Newcastle then and you, you walk through those doors and you're you know, seeing these big players that you've watched on the telly around you and, and, how, and how a young kid comes into a, to a dressing room like that in his hometown club. Yeah, I've come through all, all the grades sort of stuff and then Rick Stone gave me my first pre-season. So I was working at, a, at the council at the time and then... At the council? Oh, yeah. No, you can't, you can't <laughs> I was that one. <laughs> Come on. really working really council hard. Council tax. What were you doing? Uh, uh, I was working uh, in the store. Like, so they have like a, a supply store for, for just exclusively the, the council. So I'd work in the store just sort of packing shelves, giving, getting stuff blokes, giving some concrete or whatever it is. And then I was driving the uh, fuel oh, truck. Giving some blokes some concrete. <laughs> no, <laughs> yeah, you, like the, the, the council on the shelves. Yeah, or well, like it was, just, like breaking it was like inside a uh, inside a depot. So, oh, okay. and then I was driving the fuel truck as well. So I got my truck license and I was driving like a big diesel truck around. You'd be tall enough to drive a truck. Yeah, I had to get a bumper. Up, yeah, I was getting up the stairs, up and down, you know. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I, I was I was I played under twenties or something that that year, and then Rick Stone called me and asked me if I wanted to come in and do November, December, January preseason, mm. and I was just absolutely buzzing. So I come in and like it was Kurt Gidley's last year at Newcastle so I was training with him and Cade Snowden Jeremy Smith lads like that and I was just yeah I was just over the moon to be even given the opportunity to, to go in there so seeing them the likes of, of them type of players and you know learning off them and seeing how they could go about their days and mm -hmm. stuff like that was really eye-opening to me and I think once I got a sort of a taste of it 
I was just going back for more, yeah. Yeah, and then, you know, when you make your Newcastle debut and around that sort of time, is it fair to say you'd sort of come into a Newcastle which were, were struggling comparatively yeah, yeah, to, yeah. Better, you know, well, to, to the size it was, of the It was a long... It was a, so like I got my first preseason at, at 19, but I didn't play until I was 22, because wow. so Nathan Brown come in and you know it was a lot of there was a lot talked about Brownie as he was coming in and you know he said in a couple of articles about about me saying he was keen to work for me so I'm I'm there absolutely buzzing so I'm like yeah this is going to be sick uh, mm. you know I'm, I'm on this path and. Um, yeah, he wasn't a fan. Like once he uh, once we started training, once he, <laughs> once he worked you out. Yeah, he was, liked you. Oh uh, yeah, to, to yeah. I think it was the tash. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know. I think I, I was you know a bit naive and thought yeah, like uh, I was working hard and all this sort of stuff. But I, I, I maybe wasn't going to that next that next level. And you know, he um, his first preseason got us got us in with a, a group of lads at the end of the end of the preseason and end of January and was like. You know, thanks, thanks to all your efforts, boys. But you've all gone back to wow. part time playing yourself. I was cup. Um, any of you have an issue with it? Come and come and see me this afternoon. And you know, we all left the room, and I went and did my weights, and I was just shattered. And um, I was on like okay enough money to not have to work. You know, mm. so then I went in to see him. It took me a lot to go, go the courage to go in and see him. And I was just like, mate, there's no nowhere else I'm going to get better. So. I'm on a good enough, a good enough money that I don't have to work. You know, I, I want to stay and I want to get better and learn. And I think he sort of took that as me, you know, really coming. Like he could probably tell how uncomfortable that was for me to go and do that. And um, so he sort of just set me sort of little goals and that to, for me to sort of work on. And then he's just like, so if you're going to play first grade, you need to be a fittest middle in the club. So then sort of took me, you know, half a year to sort of get that while I'm trying to play in New South Wales Cup. And then he said, oh, you, now you need to be our best ruck defender. So now I went away and had to do a load of work. And it was, it was, it was good. It was, it was tough love and it was brutal, brutal honesty to me. Well, but before, but let, before it sort of worked out in that sense, uh, you'd always been a kid where people were pumping up your tyres. Yeah, not it was. It legs, was, yeah, that's know. what I mean. I was sort of like on a steady trajectory, just going, yeah, this is great. This is going to have a career, all this mm. Like it was just all going on really nicely, and then that was my first big setback in terms of a big reality check on no, you're not good enough at the minute. You have to go and do this. You have to work on that. And it was, it was, it was tough love, but it was it was really good because he was honest on what you know I had to do and just sort of like give me tangible things that I had to work on. So for me to go and go, all right, now I can go back to him, have a conversation, and go look. Now I think I'm this. What, what do I do next? But that that doesn't sound like it's something you just kind of accept and go. Okay, I'll go away because you know we all have an ego, and, and especially if everyone's telling you that you're, you're great as a kid. Do, do you think at the time that um, there was an element of you thinking this is a personality thing? He just doesn't like the cut of my jib. He's not having me as a person. Yeah, I, no. To be honest, because I I could sort of feel the vibe off him over the last three months. That you know that he was like he was he was always a good. You can fella. get a read off. A yeah, call, just I, I, I can get a good read off him. Yeah, but yeah. I was just like I don't know what was going on. I wasn't too sure but you know once he sat me down and, and gave me the things to work on you know and I feel if I'd ha if I hadn't had them conversations with him I wouldn't be to where I am now because mm. that's mainly where I base my game off like the, the defensive side and being a fit middle and stuff like that so it's like if them conversations never happened and he just lets me get spit back out and then I, where would I be now I'd probably be working back at the council or, or doing something like that Handing so, over the concrete again. Yeah, yeah yeah giving out concrete um, <laughs> So you know, like it's uh, it, it, the tough love was was exactly what I needed at, at the time, and, and the honesty. So it sort of made me who I am. It's interesting because you said that 
you sort of made a few of you part-time and you had to go back and think about it. And I guess there were a lot that would just fall off the cliff at that stage, wouldn't well, they? Yeah, they wouldn't I, go, I was the only one that I, went I could back. see a route to the top here. They would take that rejection and, and never do advance. You, do you think you might have done that as a test? Probably, yeah. Pro pro probably did, to be mm. fair. Um, he might have said, thought in his mind, I'll tell these five lads they're not going to make it and I'll see who responds or see who shows a bit of resilience and a bit of grit to so yeah, have a conversation. Probably, to be honest, he probably did because he goes, go and do your weights and if any of you want to come and see me and talk about it or, or dis dispute it, come and see me. So that's what I went and did. I didn't tell anyone I was going to go and see him because I was pretty embarrassed at the time about what had gone on, you know. All my best mates that I'd come through with, like the Safidi boys, Josh King, Lockie Fitz, all these boys were in there doing their weights and happy as Larry and I just had this shattering news that I was going to go back part-time and I felt like my dream was over, so. It's a tough tough thing to hear that, isn't it? I've I've been on the receiving end, end of a couple of those conversations. Mm. And it's, yeah, it's not, it's not easy, is it? Uh, not from Brownie. No. Brownie, Brownie liked me, actually, surprisingly. <laughs> um, but if you dedicate your life to something, you work so hard, and then some, you're kind of at the mercy of one person's opinion. Mm. Every day you go to work, every day you go to training and play, you're at the mercy of your coach's decision. And when that decision doesn't go your way, it's, it's pretty tough, isn't it? Yeah, it was tough, but in the end, it took me another two years to, to get to a point where, you know, I come into that following preseason and then for whatever reason, he's a big fan. And mm. like the year before he was, he was playing, he, cause he picked the team first grade reserve grade. He was playing me off the bench in reserve grade. And then I come in that next and he played me round one in first grade, give my, my debut in New Zealand, flew my parents over. So it was just like a, a massive sort of turnaround for me. But then I guess you become a sort of coach's project as well, don't you? And, and again, we talk about ego and coaches have that as well. And you see this in all other industries, but kind of, well, look, I told him and he listened to me and now look at yeah, him. Yeah, yeah, I, I suppose so, yeah. yeah. Brownie's big on that as well. Yeah, yeah, turning people around. That, yeah. and Yeah, so oh, I'm grateful for it, obviously, because yeah, if he yeah, didn't give me the stern word, I wouldn't be here. I think it's probably giving some prayers from, from my career. I think Nathan Brown was the best coach improving you as a player. Mm. There's been lots of coaches, Watto included, Tim Sheens, who are really good at like, manipulating a game plan or working on how a team plays together. But in terms of individual progression, he's really good at saying, Flash, come here, right? If you do this a bit better, or you did that and stop doing that, you'll be miles, miles more uh, efficient player. And mm. I've, I've seen it with uh, teammates of mine. Did a great job with John uh, in 2013, 2014, when we didn't have a halfback. He, kind of turned him into a, a ball-playing back rower, into someone who was an accomplished yeah. um, halfback in Super League. So I can see exactly what he probably he was working on but with was Luke. A, that was a transitional period for Saints when he was there, wasn't it? Yeah, it was, yeah. it would, Probably the club wasn't working out uh, after Royce Simmons left and Kieran Cunningham was there. No, sorry, before Kieran Cunningham. Royce Simmons, they probably didn't have too good of a period. Uh, and then there was a year of Kieran and Mike Rush as caretakers. And then Brownie... He did well for a couple of years, got us a grand final, and the rest is history. Yeah. Confirmation bias I find really interesting in sport um, because, you know, and it sounds like at the time, and your story has a happy ending with Nathan, but there would have been people who fell by the wayside where someone makes a decision, a coach, you know, whether it be a coach, whether it be a, a chairman, an owner, someone on the board or whatever, and, and they made their decision, they're standing by it, their ego doesn't allow them to back down or whatever, and they have to, you have to make decisions and stand by them as, as coaches and people in power. But then they will find other reasons to justify that decision. Yeah, it's a cutthroat in industry we're in, especially uh, as you're coming through as a young kid, they only have a certain amount of spots for young lads, development contracts and stuff like that, as they do at home. So it's like, if you're not there at that, at that time right then, 
you know, you just sort of just get cut by. Each other club has their own, you know, group of kids that they're bringing through. So if you sort of miss out on them, them crucial years, it's quite hard to get back in, mm. which is what I, which I knew at the time. So I was like, I just wanted to put invest it even more so into throwing everything at playing some good footy. Isn't it amazing how it works out? Because all the things that you went away to work on are now, as you say, your biggest strengths. And it's almost then quite fascinating psychologically that you've gone away to prove him wrong. And now those those assets are your sort of you know your your power plays. Yeah, that's why that's why I'm very grateful for them type of conversations and and the, what what he said to me because yeah, like I said, like I wouldn't I wouldn't have worked on them things and then say if another coach come in, he may have liked me and I would have maybe fell away because I wasn't doing these things as well as what I'm say doing now. I was doing when I was 22 at the time. So um, yeah, it's 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 a tough tough sport, obviously, to be involved in. But um, yeah, I'm just grateful I could get through. That's that's why the most important facet for me as a coach is honesty. Mm. So if Brownie wasn't honest to Yatesy then and said and made a conversation easier by saying X, Y, and Z, and didn't give him the the home truths that he'd really needed, he would have had a an easy conversation, but B, it wouldn't have done him the the best in his own development as a player. So I'd rather, if I was getting dropped, be told those reasons and give you give them something to work on because some coaches they'll just tell you what you want to hear yeah exactly like that people don't get dropped for a flip of the coin like it's it's always going to be for a reason and like I, I when I was playing first grade back home you know would would have I'd get dropped every second week you know I played nine uh, yeah 25 games over two years so I was sort of in and out of first grade anyway but it was always he'd give me something to work on or he'd, he'd drop me back to reserve grade and I'd go I want, I want you to do this this week you know it was always the honest side of things that I, that I really respected in him as well. Do you still have a, a sort of little Nathan Brown in your head like Jiminy Cricket, just sort of reminding you? No, I haven't seen lying. him for a while. Nice. I, I seen him, last time I seen him was end of 2019. I went to a gym and, to do a class and he was there. And he's like, it was a partner workout. He's like, me and you, he calls me Jagerbomb for some reason. I don't know why, <laughs> <laughs> me and you Jagerbomb. So, uh, you don't go up to him, have you seen my fucking rock speed now? <laughs> <laughs> nah. Who's nah. the man? Nah, so it looks like he's going okay at the Warriors at the minute. So yeah, it's not about him. Brown anymore, it's all about <laughs> Ian Watson. But he was, you know, we're sort of getting towards the time where you, you left Oz and you came over to London. But before we get to that, um, and I mentioned earlier that it was a sort of difficult time for Newcastle, three wooden spoons. I think they finished 11th in your last season there. And you mentioned earlier that it was, uh, uh, excuse my geography if I'm wrong, but it's a one club city in that sense, a one club town. Yeah. You know, a bit like I'm thinking of the football equivalent of Newcastle. That, And you said earlier that if they win, everyone's happy and they go into their weekend and they can have a couple of drinks and it's that working class mentality of like, everyone's all good and it's all about the next game. But when, when you're losing and you're down there and things are going tits up, it's kind of that that mood throughout the city can become quite toxic and poisonous. Yeah, it does. It's it's yeah. The the energy around the town if we're winning games is unbelievable, and everyone's loving you and patting you on the back. But then, say if you if you lost a few on the bounce and then you're out, people are messaging into the CEO going, "Why is why is Luke Yates having a beer? Why he shouldn't be doing this?" You know, mm. trying to like get you in trouble and, and stuff like that. So, yeah, it's in your best interest to be playing good footy. But, yeah, obviously, when I come through at them, at them times, uh, you know, we, were, we had a very, very young team. I think the average age of our team was, like, 23, 24. That, that first year when I came in, we got the spoon. And then they recruited very well and got Ponger in and, and Mitchell Pearce in, which w was a massive up for us, mm. which was – we could see the sort of progression of where the team was going. So it was a bit more – we were a bit more liked, I guess, in in the town at uh, that second year that I was there. Um, Do you literally get a wooden spoon? 
Yeah, I, I, I think that's a typical Stir thing that other fans give with you. That, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a big cauldron of yeah. 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 It, get, the it, it, it gets chucked around. Yeah. yeah, yeah. When you're on Mad Monday and you're not feeling too great, someone <laughs> just brings a wooden spoon. It's it's not great. <laughs> that that um, scrutiny then, because obviously you've experienced both, and uh, not necessarily you're struggling over here, but that how much more intense is it in in the NRL? I mean, I know Mark, you play for for West Tigers over there, but. When, when it's not going your way, is it, is it magnified in Australia compared to what you would get here? Yeah, big time, big yeah. time. Because um, it, it's like, it's the, it's the biggest sport over there. Like, it's like the football over here. So, like, soccer. Talk, soccer, yeah. Yeah, the soccer. I'm, I'm, trying, to, I'm trying to learn. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so it's the, the magnifying glass is always, is always on, the, on the rugby league and who's playing well, who's not. But typically for me, at, the, at that time, I wasn't a, a big t- time player. No one's mm. taken their anger out on me, giving me sprays on social media. So I was pretty well and safe from that but I could understand what the 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 criticism the boys in my team were getting like the top the top players were obviously yeah. copping it pretty heavily but well, like likes of myself like, like I wasn't copping anything and I don't cop anything here so it's, <laughs> yeah. it's a bit of well, the same you've got captain's armband now, <laughs> <laughs> but um you know that's a good comparison because Elijah said that as well didn't he um that and obviously he's captain of Salford but that that kind of um that magnifying grass that that intensity is is, is, is a lot more rife and, and people will make your, your life hell. You're, you're like a Premier League player and you have to have that robust side yeah. to your character. And I'm not saying you don't have to have that here as much, but you know, it, it is a, it's a smaller bubble. It is, but I think depending on what position you play and the type of player you are, mm. you probably avoid it. So if you're a flair little, guy, you're going to get shit. Yeah, and I think if, like, similar, like myself, Luke, Elijah Taylor, all loose forwards who tackle and try hard. But if, if you kind of... If you give it your all every week, the support is usually yeah, like you, you, you give, give hard, you a pass. If, they, if you're trying hard, they're, they're typically not going to have a go at you. I think yeah. it's more spine players that aren't, yeah. you know, firing. But for lads like us that are going out there and making your tackles and, and tying in and having your carries, you know, I don't think there can be too much criticism about young lads just doing their best. So why did it come to an end in, in the NRL? Because you've painted this picture that, you know, the stadium was over your back fence. It was the dream. You're there. You get the shot in the first team. All right, the team was struggling. Was was Nathan Brown to do with with it ending, or how did uh, that moment come where you came to London? It was a it was a bit of a. I was I was very disappointed on how my second year went there. So I, I'd played 19 games the first year and then six the second, and I, I without being arrogant, I, I felt like I could have offered more and played pick for more games. So I was mm. sort of not upset and bitter about things but you know I just felt like I could offer more so I, I wanted to leave Newcastle because Brownie was staying there I didn't want to go around another year of doing that to myself but mm-hmm. then the opportunity to come over to the UK because you have to play 50% of your last two years in the NRL to be able to qualify for a visa mm. so I'd played bang on that and I was like well do I risk going to a Sydney club and then not playing you know 19 games that following year and then never be able to come to the UK so um, I sort of was, me and my agent were talking with talking about UK and, and, and coming over here. And then my brother lived in London at the time, just uh, on, his working, on his working visa, just like traveling and stuff like that. And so was my best mate. And then I really, I didn't keep up the date too much of the Super League at all. And then London offer came through and was like, oh, they're in Super League now. Do you want to go and play over there? And I just thought that makes just so much sense. Like I, was, yeah. like, I felt like it was just, like me walking in here today, just meant to be. <laughs> so yeah, I just jumped at that opportunity. Like I'd, I'd only just come back from traveling Europe for a month with one of my best mates and then thought I was probably never gonna come back. And then a month later I was moving over here, so. So at that time that you joined London Broncos, did, did that feel 
like a sort of a regression in, in your career in the sense that, you know, it, it is London Broncos, it's not the NRL. What did the sort of family, friends, colleagues, teammates make of that? Everyone was super supportive, to be honest. It didn't feel like a step down at all. Like, I, I, was, I, was, I was always keen to come and play the Super League, but probably wasn't as keen at 24. You know, I, I really wanted to stay and play in the NRL, but then, you know, moving away from home, like, it's not like I could live, still live at home and drive to a city. Yeah, it'd be a tough commute from Newcastle to London. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So I was like, if, I, if I'm going to move away from Newcastle, like, I would have to move to Sydney at the closest. So it's like, move to Sydney, I might as well move to London. Um, Did you so feel at that stage that you needed to to prove things to people? Did you feel like it was a case of, you know, a fresh start? Did you feel lost at all? Was, what were the emotions at the time of that move? Uh, I, I, was, I was just very, yeah, I was quite, I was quite lost, I think, at, at, at the time. And I was just sort of looking for, you know, the next thing and, and wanted another challenge, I think. And, and I think that them coming up and then being offered to me with my brother and my best mate living there just made too much sense for me to sort of turn down and, you know, coming over here and, and yeah, I didn't. I didn't know how long I was going to stay at London. Obviously, I only signed a, a one-year deal, but mm. um, it just seemed like a exciting sort of prospect for me to go and, and live in London and be able to play these Super League teams and that. I was, I was just, I was really very curious on on what it would be like over here, and you know, I'm yeah, so glad I came. Do you keep Brownie informed on how well you were doing, like every time you <laughs> scored or man of the match? Well, you were top ten or player of the season, weren't you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You let him know, no? No, I didn't let him know. I didn't <laughs> let him know. I don't think he's. I don't think he's in your head. Yeah, I don't think he's following the London Broncos too much. But. <laughs> well, no. that that season, I guess it sort of fits into the because you know they were underdogs, weren't they? And they they performed admirably. Obviously, got relegated, um, and and have been one of those clubs, haven't they? Kind of, you know, there's there's plenty of football equivalents, Mark. Of they were everybody's up and yeah. And they were everyone's second team, I think, mm. uh, that season because one thing I really admired is that they kept the nucleus of the team that got them promoted in that first year of Super League. It would have been very easy for them to get rid of all the lads that, that, that got them up and signed some some overrated Aussies and just kind of buy a new team. But they didn't really do that. They only they, they, picked, they signed a few players to kind of enhance the performance, Luke being one of them. But mm. uh, and they were, the style of rugby that they played and the fact they only they only got relegated on the last day of the season, didn't they? they were, there was a three or four team tussle between who was going to get relegated. And um, that season, it seemed like the performances on the field were every, every player playing to the best. But you had a real camaraderie and a real team um team first like, yeah, mentality the, it, it was great to be honest like it was that i think they did the right thing in giving the people that got them to the dance opportunity to play super league because them guys have been there for the couple of years building up and then getting the opportunity you know that obviously give them a chance but like we only had we only used three of our visa spots like down there with us lads so it was like we had the opportunity to to sign people but i think they did the right thing in giving them opportunity to yeah like them to play but um it was just such a great experience, and like I've, I, down there, I'd, I've never been part of a more close knit group. And I think that sort of showed on the field. We definitely weren't the most talented group of players mm. at, at, in any any sense of like the Super League. But I think just our togetherness of the group. You know, everyone's northern or come from Australia, or whatever. So we all lived in Ealing. Mm. None of it, barely any of us drove because there's no point having a car down there. So it was just like we all lived in this little bubble, and it was like. Mm. Go go to training, come back, and there's 20 lads that are out for a coffee, or <laughs> you go to go to the game. The or whole squad's out for a beer. It's just, it was just so good because like now, like living up here, like everyone lives. I play at Huddersfield, but I live in Manchester. It's just, you know, everyone sort of apart there was just such good oh, that's, togetherness. That's what Manchester's like. You can hear the sirens going. Yeah. <laughs> They're coming for Will. Uh, They're coming for you. Salford, everyone. Um, no, that's interesting because I, I live in Ealing now, and, and I remember all the 
the you know the Broncos fans getting off the tube there at the, the station, whether they're you know Leeds fans coming down to away games or whatever, and it's a completely different dynamic, isn't it? You've come from an environment where, you know, in New South Wales, where it's you know a heartland of rugby league. And we'll, we'll come and last and get in twenty thousand to a ga- every game average. Yeah. yeah. But you, but again, you're you're in a city like London where. I'm not saying Mark walks down the street here and he gets mobbed. I mean, you know, oh, yeah. maybe if you walk oh, through Salford yeah. Precinct, that might happen a couple of years ago when you got to the grand final. But those days are gone, Mark. But no, do you know, do you know what I'm saying? It's like you, it's, you've come to London where rugby league no is one kind really, of just yeah, no one unknown really. to the yeah, majority the of people in the yeah, capital. Massive city and you're getting 3,000 to a game if, yeah. you, if you're really lucky. So, mm. Yeah, but uh, I think that was a quite a nice change. Not saying that I was getting recognised everywhere I'd walk in. Newcastle, like everyone sort of has a good idea who the Knights players are and that. But it was just a nice change to be just a, just a nobody. Like yeah. going around the city and exploring and hanging out with your mates and... You can go for a beer without getting bloody sledged or something like that. Yeah. So yeah, how, it was, how it was did, a nice change. How do you like London? Like one of the biggest cities in the world. So much going on compared to a lad who's out of Newcastle, which is in comparison poles apart. I loved it. Absolutely loved it. It was it was quite tough in you terms. Can't, you can't of say you like London on a podcast. <laughs> most people, like you've lost oh, you've lost ninety five percent of the audience, sorry. mate. It was That's quite. Like it me. was hard. Like I said, because I, I, I live with my brother and my best mate. And um, they weren't there to be professional sports people. They were, no. it was my house so was, they were dragging you out the whole time? My house was a bit of a circus and I had to, you know, it took me a little bit into the season to sort of pull my head in and sort of realise why I'm there. I'm not there for a holiday. So um, that was that was a, probably a, a pretty big challenge for me. But like, obviously, they were obviously very respectful of me playing footy and really supportive of me. But... You know, they're, they're not there to play footy, so they're mm. there to have a good time. Um, so they ha- our flat was quite loud, yeah. Um, but, yeah, I, I, I love living in London, and I would uh, love to go back there at some stage and if and a career to help them out or something like that. What did you learn from the, the sort of mental side of your game? What was added to that? And I, I, I've said the word underdog, trying to sort of get you to bite in that sense, but you know, no, one, no one believed in London, and a lot of people didn't believe in the project or weren't buying into it and whatever, and it's, you know, there are comparisons with with Toronto and other models of you know, Toulouse and Catalan initially, but did did you feel that kind of from Super League from Super League fans of just that everyone was not really having the Broncos? No, I, I felt I felt quite like I felt the love from other teams and like when we would play teams up here, you know, like I'd speak to lads after the game and they're sort of going, "Geez, I hope you boys stay up." Mm. Like all, always very supportive, but I think the biggest change for me in learning curve for me was. You know, I'm playing at Newcastle and I'm sort of on that lower in between first grade and reserve grade. So I'm, I was very, you know, selfish on my own performance and trying to play as best as I can to sort of get my spot in that 17 every week. And then I moved to London and then I've, I've sort of come to a, a spot where we've got some players who are fringe Super League players mm. and, you know, aren't performing too great. And then it's more about trying to help them guys be better players and sort of being more selfless and trying to get a team together and make sure we're playing playing better. So it was a bit of a transition between being super stressed about my own sort of performance and my own week and thinking purely about myself to trying to get the team performing and everyone happy and everyone performing and ready for the weekend's game. Mm. So 2020, you come to Salford and you meet Mark Flanagan. I mean, you, you don't know much about him at this stage. You know, you've played against him with the Broncos. He's sort of you, fine looking I thought guy he was Aussie. Like, I thought because he yeah. played with the West Tigers and I came out. I thought he was Good Australian on, for some reason. He's, he's got that sort of Because he, well. he bases his cafe like it's an Australian cafe. That's yes. what's really weird. And yeah. I was like, he's an Australian lad. And yeah, then, well, but he's got that sort of, you know, prince-like looks, isn't he? Sort of, you know, if he didn't speak, you'd think this guy... 
has got something, you know, like what, when, when and you then first... I'm really underwhelming. Yeah, you speak to me a bit like, oh. I've, got to, I've got to wash oh, my dog's a, hair oh. in half an hour. I've got to <laughs> How boring. Masha, uh, Flash was really, really nice to me from, from the bat. I think uh, I got added to the WhatsApp and, you know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when, um, when, we, when he signed for the club, so we have a WhatsApp group with all your players and then the coaches will put the new players' numbers in the official club WhatsApp group. Mm for training times and all that sort of stuff. And I was the admin, so I then put all the new signings into the group. Oh, and you kicked the other ones out, you've left. Yeah, there you oh. go as well. They're dead, oh, dead to me. Uh, anyway, Luke got added to the group and then decided that weekend to have a few beers. And whilst having a few beers, he decided to call out all the other players, his new teammates, <laughs> giving, ev call out. giving everybody shit. Yeah. And I'll, then his first day of training I think, I think was I remember, really, really awkward. Yeah, that was probably the worst first day ever at yeah. Salford. I felt like, uh, I, oh, <laughs> mate, the anxiety oh. the next day of me waking up after them beers, um, I was in some trouble. But Who were you calling out, Luke? No, I wasn't calling out anyone. I was just carrying on, you know. I was just he trying, was to, make some, just trying to make trying some friends. To, trying to make some friends, trying to have a few jokes, but... Yeah, it was I don't think it went down too well. Down but Flash, Flash got around. I had his back. It. He liked yeah, it. Yeah, Flash I, got around it, and then yeah. I, he sort of put my, his arm around me when I got there because I think not, he could not tell. Actually, if he did, show us on the door where he touched you, and we can. <laughs> he's the other HR department. It's hard to get your arm around a cube. It's kind of just yeah. half, halfway down his back. I think <laughs> it's flat on the side of his face. Yeah. Um, so, no, did you get the impression that Mike was sort of a 50-50 captain? Because I mean, we, like, we've been over this a few <laughs> times, Mark, haven't you? But he sort of, you know, he he told us that. He was captain, and then we found out that he was kind of a joint captain. Um, and then Lee Mossop sort of said it was more 80 20, Lee less 50 50. I mean, you, you were in the dressing room. How did, it, how did Mark's captaincy uh, yeah, feel oh, like? There, there were different types of leaders. I'd say <laughs> Lee, Lee was probably the main man in 2020 when I was there. No, um, but Flash, uh, Flash was obviously the, the more subtle touch and putting your arm around lads when, they, when their heads were gone, like he did to me. But. Um, but no, he's, Flash was a great leader on and off the field. Yeah. What was the difference then? The big difference coming from from London into Salford, into that that dressing room. Ian Watson, a team that had been to the grand final, obviously COVID times as well. There were all yeah, sorts of challenges. There was wasn't a there? lot. Of, there was a lot of pressure. I remember because I signed up there mid year and I wasn't too sure how things were going to go of them. And then they end up making the grand final and coming back in, going, "Geez, like we're on for another big year." We end up making Challenge Cup final and stuff like that. But it was definitely a step up in terms of training and, and players and stuff like that. Like mm. coming from, from London, it was more modelled to like an NRL type of, type of um, schedule and, and, and training wise. But I think then this, the cold had hit me from Manchester and coming down, <laughs> down south was, was a bit of a struggle. Accent change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I actually really struggled with Northern lads. Oh, well, there was a lot of Northern lads down there that I'd, I'd, I'd just sit there and blankly just say, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, at the time, I'm just thinking, obviously it was post serious lockdown wasn't it but around that time when you're, you're moving clubs and there was all sorts of scaremongering going around with clubs not necessarily Salford we but were Super League was 2020 like, oh, 2020 we was it was the height 16 weeks we were yeah off. it was the height of the lockdown so we mm. were trading from home and I think uh, Luke was sleeping at Ian Watson's house so he was <laughs> probably doing drills in the back garden with Watto and the tackle bag at home yeah um, but yeah it was tough it was tough as a player that time because you're at home you're given a schedule or suggested training uh, methods to do and you're kind of left to your own devices aren't you and I think that's one thing I'm, I was really proud of that year was that when we came back from the lockdown we performed really well and got to a Challenge Cup final mm. and it was I think that was all attributed to the character of our players that were willing to train 
when no one was watching. It was just up to our own motivation to get it done. And I think that was one reason why we had some real good success. Yeah, we were we were struggling, to be fair, before before the lockdown. I think we were like 5 initially. But, oh, no, we beat Toronto, but they, they got taken off us. Yeah, but like we, were, we weren't nowhere near performing what we thought we were going to be. Mm. Um, and then lockdown was probably the best thing that happened. Obviously, disaster what happened in the world and whatnot. But for mm. us and our, our team, as we come back, we hit the ground run, running. Was that a, a sign of Ian Watson? And like Mark says, you're Ian Watson's sort of teacher's pet. We'll get onto that in a second. Yeah. But it, was on. that a sign Thanks, of, of, of the man who you're now working with, of course, at, at Huddersfield? I actually remember bumping into him um, in another PKB, Mark. I think it's P PKB that's no longer with us. So what do we call that? 2.5, the one that's... Well, spinning, gone, field. Yeah, spinning field. And he, and he was going through, this was, again, sort of... Not, obviously, we were in a coffee shop at the, at the time, but just opening up and post the sort of serious lockdown in COVID. And he was going through specific things for people like Paulie Paulie, who I think at the time had become Paulie 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 Paulie. <laughs> not that we're fat shaming him, but you know, he, need, he needed to be on a serious regime. Otherwise, um, I don't think he would have had a contract there at the time. But, you know, that, that, like he was very hands on during that time. You learn a lot about a coach. And, and what you want from a coach during a, a yeah, well, quite weird time. Wassel was, is a massive control freak, and he he loves rugby, he eats, breathes, sleeps rugby. So for him, it was really tough because he he wanted to do stuff. He wanted to do video with the players. He wanted to do drills. Um, but I, I think it was more a reflection of our conditioner. He, he managed to keep us fit by suggesting these sessions, and and it was just I think the mentality of the players to to keep working when we didn't really have to, did we? Yeah, we didn't have to. I think it was just a commitment as a team and, you know, more so to each other because we knew when we come back in, like, what did we come back in? We had, like, a week training and then we are playing a game. So it's like, if you weren't in good nick, you're going to struggle. And if you're if you're lagging, you're, you're going to let the team down anyway. Mm. So you're sort of just putting your best foot forward for the team and, and for yourself to be playing as you get back in. Um, mm. Yeah, but it was definitely a tough time for us. But I think it brought us all together. Like we'd do some quiz nights. And they organise a quiz night every Friday on big, Zoom. Big on Zoom, was good yeah. On that. yeah. Original. No one the, else did that during lockdown. I nip to the it? shop and get twelve bottles of Corona. And <laughs> You're the best. I'm the best. <laughs> I drink two. So, so when you first laid eyes on on Ian Watson, were there sort of you know Cupid and love hearts flying around? Was there sort of stars going around in your mm. in your head? What was? When I can remember the moment that their eyes met across the room. Mm. It was a beautiful moment. Same sort of height. Sort of, Similar height. Bit, That's why bit. he was at everyone's groin level. And they just, <laughs> just saw it, caught each other's eye. And just, yeah, just, just love hearts and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Oh, there was, He's I, not denying it, is he? Yeah, 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 yeah that was it. Oh, no, you're just taking piss out of me. But, um, <laughs> no, yeah, I, I think me and Wada have a mutual respect between each other. And I, 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 was, I had interest for coming to Salford before I signed to London. It's just they didn't have a visa spot to clear. So mm -hmm. then he was sort of like, I had communication with him. Then spoke about coming up the, the following season, then sort of when we're mid-year and then we had another chat. So it was... Oh. How does that work? That's really interesting, actually, because, you know, obviously in football years ago, that used to be banned, the whole kind of tapping up thing. But obviously, you know, that's just how recruitment works these days. And when... I mean, it's difficult for Salford because at times they're in relegation battles, not necessarily under Ian Watson, where you can't recruit, can you? You, can't, you don't know, and, and players aren't going to come until they, they know for sure they're going to be playing Super League. To, to be honest, like I remember I, I was talking to a few clubs at the time when I was at London, and then I, uh, my agent was like, oh, Ian Watson, wants, Ian Watson wants to have a talk to you on the phone. And I was mm. like, all right. But at the time, I really didn't want to go to Salford. Like, what is that? All right, yeah, you say. That wasn't, I don't, I don't know. I just, I, I had some other things in the works that I was, I was a lot more keen on than, mm. than, than Salford. And mm -hmm. then, um, 
And then I had a conversation with him for about 40 minutes and I was just completely sold. Really? Yeah. So and go was, on, take us inside that, that meeting. It was what, just what the mentality that he wanted to play with and like how passionate he was. And you could just tell he just loved it. And then me being a rugby nerd, like these boys would say, you know, that sort of just fired me up. And I was like, you, you just feel like you could just run out and die for this lad. Like so the is, way is, that, is that sort of specific things that he knew about you? No, well, no, no, just more or less you know, little things that he knew about me. And he, he does his homework on players when he recruits, doesn't he? But mm. I think just the way he speaks about the mentality that he wants to play and the style of play, you know, how they train, why they do the things. Like, it's very in-depth. And, he, and he, you can tell when you speak to him, you know, he, he knows. What, I don't think he sleeps a lot, but he just he knows exactly what he's speaking about. And he's, mm. he's, he's sure on, on his things. He's not really blasé. He's like, oh, we could do this, do that. He's just like, this is how it's going to be. And I think... Obviously, like with Salford probably not being the most most cash to the club or anything like that, going to a grand final and then going to a Challenge yeah. Cup final, you know, the sort of the proof's there that he's, he's got a pretty good idea what he's doing, yeah. yeah. I love that because you, you went into the meeting then essentially like, I'll go to the meeting, see what you've got to say, but not really thinking you were going to be convinced. It completely sold me. And you yeah. were sold in 40 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> the power of Ian Watson. Was there a PowerPoint presentation? What was the, no, was just the phone call. It was just a phone call. Struggles with computers. Were things putting your drink? Were there any kind of no, you know, I remember I was just walking around in, in, upstairs in the house just on the phone and said, come He's, he's, he's probably the most passionate coach I've played for. Really? Yeah. yeah. And do you know what? If... As a player, I think you're prepared to invest time in pre-season or work hard if you see those around you doing the same. And I was, I'd always get in early for training, but he was always the first in and last to leave. And when you see your leader acting in that way, it's easy to buy him into, into what he's, he's doing. Mm. Uh, and it's, like I said, his passion, his vision, uh, and his man management in order to get teams up for a game was his second to none, really. Mm. And look, you, you had a, a good run because obviously you'd, you'd seen this team and I imagine you watched that, that grand final against Saints, Mark's old team. You put Yeah, few, I was up early. It was like six o'clock in the morning. Were you back in Yeah, that. I was back home, yeah. Yeah. So, so you've kind of seen the, the, the potential of where he'd taken them to and from. And, and then obviously you guys had a run to, the, to a Challenge Cup final. Yeah, yeah. It was, it was, yeah, exciting times. Obviously playing in, at Wembley with no crowd was a bit, a bit of a weird one. Probably mm. not what you That's want. That's awful, but to be fair, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. That is, that is, oh. yeah. Let's face it, that is yeah, it was, shocking. It was, uh, but, you know, you'd rather be there than not. Yeah. Um, but, yeah. What was that, what was that day like? <laughs> it was, uh, well, I, you, you asked Luke earlier about his first memory of, of Rugby League. My first memory of watching a Rugby League match was a Challenge Cup final mm. set Helens between Bradford... I think it was 1995. So from that moment, I'd always dreamed of playing in the Challenge Cup final at Wembley in front of 80,000 people. Mm. Now, that came true in my last season, but there was eight people watching, <laughs> most of them stewards. Even I couldn't get a ticket. Yeah, I know. So it was amazing to get there, but it kind of takes the gloss up. Did like they put a bit of like canned crowd noise in as you were coming out? Like, yeah, you're, yeah, the, best, you're the best. Not, not you though, thing. Mark. I remember when we, when we got there the day before for a walk around and there's a sign as you walk onto the pitch and it said, where players come and legends are born. So I was just like, you just sort of like come and you like seeing like the atmosphere and the history of, of, of Wembley and you're like, this is insane. But then you get there and it's, you know, obviously you're pumped up for the game. You used to play in front of no crowds in 2020, but it was quite anticlimactic. Like it was just like the buzz of things was zapped very quickly once yeah, the kickoff yeah. sort of started. I think in a big game you feed off the crowd and that it has a bearing on the result, whether you're winning or losing. They can, fans can get on top of you or behind you and it really can, can swing the momentum of a match, but obviously it didn't have a bearing and 
we lost by a point. You still do a little few crowd waves and things. Like, Always you know, do that. Yeah, <laughs> Deli Alley celebration when you did that one. Did that it was one. a rough uh, train ride home that. Oh, it was. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but it was. Um, uh, but it was a, a rough sort of moment leaving Salford, wasn't it? Because like, you, you, you left with, what, two years on your contract, just signed a, a new deal. Again, the power of Ian Watson. He gave you another PowerPoint presentation to take <laughs> you to, to Come on, son. Come on. Yeah. Come on you got me. a bit of shit from the Salford fans, didn't you? I mean, like, Mark, you know, you know the ferocities of those Salford fans when they want to get... Get in, get in, get They're in a big you. fan of Marks. Yeah, they, they like me. You, you won them round, didn't you, I think, in the end a little bit? Mm, yeah. No. yeah that's, they probably still don't know who I am. Um, <laughs> but, yeah, that sport, they, it can go one or two ways. You can get let go by a club like Luke alluded to earlier, or you can kind of take the power you want and push your career in a certain, um, certain direction. So... Mm. It goes both ways, doesn't it? Yeah, How selfish I, 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 do you have to be there, Luke, then in terms of... Sorry, I interrupted you, but in, in terms of, um, you know, you're thinking about your progression. Like you have no real loyalty to Salford. You'd, you'd been there for 18 months or whatever it was and, you know, got to, to a Challenge Cup final. But you, again, you're, you're a young lad and you, at the time, mid-20s, and, and you're thinking about the next step and what's best for you. Yeah, that's what I was going to go on to. Like, it was, it was a tough one, but I didn't... Without, this sound about like I signed to Salford for Watto. Like the way he spoke to me, and then the what the mentality instilled in the players. You know, I knew I wanted to play play for him, and mm. you know, I'd, I'd I'd signed a contract under him, and then you know everything was going great, and then until it wasn't. Like it was a day after Mad Monday, and he calls me. He's like, "I'm going. Um, do you want to come with me?" And I was like, sort of sat there, and I was like, "Well, I I, I don't really. You know, rugby league career is a very short time, and." You know, I didn't want to be somewhere that I, I wasn't happy for the next two years sitting there going, I wish I wasn't, you know, I wish I'd gone with what I would have the opportunity to. So the clubs worked that out between themselves and, you know, I'm very grateful I got the opportunity to Was that Was that on. meeting less than 40 minutes, that <laughs> one? That, that meet, yeah, that Four was... Four seconds oh, for oh, I'm going. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, it was about an eight-week <laughs> negotiation to try and get out of it, which is the most stressful time of my bloody oh, that was, my yeah. life. It was, it was tough. A lot of litigation, a lot of meetings uh, and lawyers yeah. and stuff, yeah? No, not lawyers, but yeah, it's just me, agent carrying on, but... Oh, uh, yeah. Well, because there was a fee, wasn't there, that Huddersfield had to pay? Because obviously you had two years on the, on the yeah, contract. Yeah, 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 sort that about sort that out between themselves, yeah. Yeah. You go, Mike, you going to say something? No, I'm just saying it's, it's ironic that, you know, Players ask to leave a club, but then also players are asked to leave the club when they've got time on the contract. I, I was in that position not that long ago where they said, oh, you've got time on your contract, but we'd like you to leave. Mm. But no one kind of gives shit to the clubs. But if it happens the other way, a player who's put in the exact opposite situation, they get, can get a lot of abuse. So, yeah, I'm, I'm a bit um, obviously on the side of players in that, in that respect. Mm. And, and you were where at this stage? I'm just trying to think time-wise when when Luke was on his way? Um, Towards the end of your... Yeah. Just about... You were, just, you were still there. Yeah, I was still there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. But obviously it was you your last year. My last yeah. year, yeah, yeah. But as in, like, so you, you, you lose a player like that, obviously, who's got a trajectory. And uh, Salford had gone through a period of, of that, hadn't they? Of players coming in. And I, I guess it, it works both ways, doesn't it? Not, not that yeah. players are using them, but they're getting the talents of these guys yeah. as well. Over yeah, players get used just as much as clubs get used, if not less so. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So Huddersfield. Let's talk about Huddersfield. I mean, what's it like being there now with, with Ian Watson? You, you're going well as we're recording this and another new project for you, 27. Still not at your peak, are you, as a player? No, I wouldn't think so. I hope not. And skipper? Uh, <laughs> skipper, yeah. yeah. So we skipper straight away. This is it. You're going to be captain. Come with me. Oh, well, we I was there last year. So I had last year with the lads, and which was a bit of a difficult year. You know, we had mm. a couple of our senior players get injured and suspended and stuff like that. So we had a lot of money not playing. So it was it was it was. 
it was good in a way, in a way for young lads to get the opportunity to, to play. And then we recruit, recruited really well with Chris Hill, Tio Farge, Tui, Seb, all coming in, Danny Levi. So we recruited really quality, you know, lads and footy players. So was, That's one of Ian's strengths, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. you know, if he sold me on, on coming, you know, like he's, <laughs> he's, he can sell a club and he can sell a vision, I think, on, on people. And, you know, I think what, what we've sort of done now through the preseason and the way we're sort of working, you know, it's, it's very early days, you know, we're, we haven't done anything yet, but it, we're, we're on the right direction, yeah. Can you pinpoint any one or couple of factors that have really um, come to the fore this season as opposed to what last season? I think with the the buy-in of the of the players, you know, we had a lot of, you know, negativity and whatnot go on last year, but I think with the lads that Watto's brought in, typically a lot of them he's worked with before, like four out of the five he's worked with before, so they know Watto, what he's like, and they're, they're keen just to buy in straight away, and then, you know, then we can work on a team and start working more tactical sort of sort of stuff. So I'd say that's probably the major one on, on buy-in by the players and wanting to play in the same way, and it's we speak a lot about not trying to get the individual accolades and trying to be more of a team player and trying to do something for, for someone else, and that's sort of the way we're, we're playing at the minute. What does it mean to you to be a captain and had you been a captain at youth level anywhere before is this a first experience for uh you? yeah i used to be a captain at like um i think under 16s and 18s at the at nights um but yeah it, it means a lot obviously we, we did it as a as a as a vote um and the players voted me as as the captain so i think that that means a lot other than what i just saying you know you're my man sort of thing so it's it's you're nice my, to, you my boy, yeah it's not it was nice to you know get the backing off off the players and you know them to believe in me to to lead them and it's definitely not something that i take take lightly you know i i want to be the best, best version of myself for them and mm. and be a good leader for them what, what does that mean to you leadership because you would have worked under so many different captains different styles of people i mean mark is a half captain you could count as well sorry quarter captain at salford but you know in all seriousness lead, you know He's a wanker, isn't Lead, it? Leadership is quite, it's quite a subjective word, isn't it? Because, you know, John Wilkin could be called a leader to a certain degree and some people wouldn't want to follow him off a cliff or anywhere. But, you know... The, the, it, Are you it, a leader? Yep. Oh, no, absolutely not. Absolutely not. But you know what I mean? It, it, you need different skills to be a leader, don't you? Yeah, I think, I think it's what you sort of bring to the table. And I, typically I'm, I'm a hard-working sort of forward, you know, I'm sort of trying to do them tough sort of things for the team and trying to do something for other people. So I think the lads see that as, you know, me working hard and I, I try and be a role model for these younger lads that, you know, are trying to follow in them, them foot, sort of footsteps. But I, I, as a leader, you know, I, I don't really know what type of leader I am at the minute. You know, I'm, I'm pretty young into it and I've got a, good, a lot of good sort of influences at the club of former captains and state of origin players and people that have made grand finals and stuff like that. So I've made a bit of a leadership group with them lads and I just sort of ask for advice off them. And, you know, I, 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 start, I sort of struggle a bit with, you know, I, I sort of want to be very aggressive on things and, you know, this is how you do it. But it's probably not the way to do them. Type, to, to be a leader nowadays, you need to be a bit more of a softer touch like Mark was when he was a like at Salford. You know? soft, no, no, not soft, but like, you know, put your arm around lads and, you know, it's sort of just knowing your individual. So, you know, I'm, I'm very young into, into being in that position, but, you know, I, it's not something that I take lightly. Like, like, like I said, I want to be a good leader, so it's yeah. just sort of working out. But it's always, I'm always just down to hard work anyway. So I think if if I'm if I'm doing my hard work and I'm putting in for the team, you know, I think people are going to see that, and you know, I'm not going to ask someone to 
work really hard if I'm not, you know, like I wouldn't ask someone to do something that I don't already do. Mm. That's the most important attribute of a good leader is lead, like working hard and lead, leading by example mm. and doing. You see James Roby at Saints, he must inspire all his teammates by what he does because mm. you can't talk a good game without doing. And yeah, having played with Luke, I know you know exactly what you gain when you take the field yeah. with him. You know, it's 100% commitment. And, and I'm sure he inspires his teammates at Huddersfield by doing that week in, week out. Because leadership groups are now a thing, aren't they? I mean, they, they weren't. I don't, don't maybe tell me if I'm wrong in rugby league, but certainly in, in other sports and in football. And you've seen that come in potentially over the last sort of 10, 15 years. And you see it in, in the NFL and you see like, you know, we have two, three, four captains. Pep Guardiola talks about it at Manchester City. It doesn't matter who's wearing the armband. It's a leadership group. You kind of need your lieutenants around you. Back in the day, you would have you know, your captain and what he said went. Yeah, I think it's really important because you get different outlooks and different opinions on things. It's like the other week I, I wanted to come in, I, I spoke to a leadership group about something and then they sort of said, you know, maybe a bit of a softer touch would, would be better and trying to stay positive and trying to talk about that week as being a, a, a good building week into something. So it's like, it's good because you... You, you, I might be set on something as I, as I drive into training and then have a conversation with our leadership group and then mm. it'll completely sort of sway me into a different direction. So I think it's really important because you get a good sort of, you get a good feedback from them five, six guys before you go to the group with something. So you mm. sort of get know that you got them six lads on board who are typically more influential players in, in your group. So you know if they're on board with things, they can drive things alongside with you. Mm. So I think it's more powerful. So it's, you know, you're basically like the Boris Johnson of Huddersfield. It's like being a politician, isn't it? You've got your captain. Who's, who's your <laughs> chancellor of the exchequer? Uh, I, I, I talk like Chris Hill was captain at Warrington. So, and then we've got Leroy and Bruno who are Huddersfield captains and, 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 and from the area, which were really strong roots. We've got Chris McQueen, who's played State of Origin and Grand Finals at home and TFR, who's won the three at Saints the last three years. And then I've got Ollie Russell because I think it's important to have a young lad in there, but I see him as probably the next sort of leader of Huddersfield when, when mm. I'm finished up there. So I, f I try and get a good sort of gauge from all, all them lads. That's a big rap on Ollie. Yeah, big That's time. I, I, I love playing with Ollie. He's a really tough competitor. Always wants to get better. And, you know, I think he's probably the future of our club. Good stuff. He's an Oldham lad like me. <laughs> the best. Oh, we're the best. Um, it, it feels like you have to get rid of all your insecurities as a, as a captain, or at least not you know, yeah. disguise them, maybe make sure they're not, not visible because... They could, they could drag you down. I mean, I imagine paranoia can kick in as a captain at times. With I don't get too paranoid, but like I, I feel like I can't be too set in my ways. Like I, I feel like a group's opinion is a lot better than say my own, or you know, I'm not too egotistic to be like this is how it's going to be, and mm. no one no one challenged me. Like I want to be challenged, and I want the best for what's, what the group. I want the best for the group. So, you know, if someone's got a suggestion, put your hand up. Mm. Like I'm I'm happy to take on all feedback and, and try and be the best version of myself. But there's no segregation. It was in when you're captain. Is it like, oh, he's the captain, particularly with the younger guys. Oh, no, not at the all. The important thing is to have everyone on board. Yeah, with, with we've got a great, we have a great group at Huddersfield. Like, mm. I love going to training. And it, I think w for what we had last year with so many young players playing, it sort of put them lads, you know, whereas they typically w w maybe not would have got the games if, if we had everyone in. But now all them lads have got the confidence and now I've, I've built relationships with, with, with them lads. Mm. So now it's, you know, they're, they're all, we're all, all friendly with each other and they, and they know they can come to me. I'm not like a, I'm not going to be a, aggressive to them. Like everyone can have a laugh. We're, we, like I said, we've got such a great group there. Yeah. What's sort of in the, the, the list of priorities if we were to go into Ian Watson's email chains and, and look at it in terms of what he wants to do at, at Huddersfield? I mean, you guys are into a Challenge Cup semi-final for the first time in 10 years after beating Hull. 
uh, it, it's about just sort of box ticking and progressing and going forward, particularly after a, a tough season last season. Yeah, it's about, well, Huddersfield have been starved the trophies for, for years and years, haven't they? So I think we're, we're a big club and um, it should be, like I, I said to our lads before the Challenge Cup game on the weekend, so I don't want to talk about too in-depth stuff now, but mm. I was like, we don't get another shot at this, boys. It's like, if we, we can't be keep going next year, next year, next year, next year, and all of a sudden we're gone. It's not that group anymore. So it's like, we've got a good enough group now. Let's start being driven to win trophies now. So, you know, we're in that quarter uh, semi-final um, coming up, but, you know, it's it's lo looking for wins now and getting up top of the table and, and mm -hmm. challenging for titles. What do the next five years look like for you? Because you've got five really good years still in, in your peak, haven't you? I mean, I don't know if you've even thought about an age and we'll finish kind of on life after rugby and whatever, but I always kind of ask this question to, to all sorts of sportsmen and women, like when they are, when they're done, you know, when, when you're marking, you're cooked and you're over the hill and grey hairs are starting to come in and you know do do you want to look back and have done something in particular something specific or is it more kind of attributes as as a person and as a player yeah i, I definitely want to win trophies that's that that's probably the top of my heap you know i don't want to be have played for so many years and then gone yeah he was great here played played here captain there whatever but then he never sort of won anything i feel like that's something i can sort of Look, yeah, I did that like flashes won his grand final and playing halfback. Yeah, playing half. Like yeah. that's massive. Like I, and you can talk about that forever. That's always, that forever. never that never leaves you, does it? So it's mm. like I I want something of like that of my own. I feel like we've got a good enough group and for over the next five years to try and make a bit of a dynasty and sustain success at Huddersfield. Mm. He got in there as well, stopped the whole Ben Flower thing going off, didn't he? But you were right. You got the lucky there, didn't you? Was, you played twelve oh. lads and never hey. lost, didn't you? Hey, I, I was at halfback. That's just, that's like yeah. being on to so eleven then for it's us. It's like twelve yeah. versus twelve, then, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Good job I didn't throw any though. Oof. <laughs> that is deadly. Oof, um, so go on. Look, again, we talked about sort of going towards the end of end of the career, but um, you, you mentioned about going to strength and conditioning, all that sort of thing. I mean clearly the way you talk and I could see you went into captain mode there and went into kind of like it was a pre-match press conference we saw a change in Luke it's interesting you sort of speak like a coach and you're fascinated by coaches and I imagine sort of and I'm being serious in this sense that you know Watto could put on a an, an hour-long sort of analytical display and I can imagine you at the front with your eyes lit up I mean that's 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 for some players it's not for others isn't it but I can so, so essentially I'm saying are we going to see yeah, Luke as, a, as a coach in Super League one day or in the NRL or is that um what? yeah I, I definitely wouldn't rule it out like I um I want to go and do the strength and conditioning sort of stuff but I'll definitely be keen on, on giving coaching a go I'll, I'll go do my my courses and stuff like that because I might as well do something that I'm passionate about so um, I'm massive about rugby league and strength and conditioning side so I, I, I want to go and do a degree to, just to get that behind me have that in the back pocket and then sort of see where life takes me from there. But, you know, I've, I've been over here for four years. Next year, into five, I can get my residency. So, um, Ooh, resident. I'm, yeah, so I'm lucky with my uh, How do we get you to, to swear allegiance? To, to uh, what, what were the tests these I think days it, to become a Brit? Test and a lot of cash, I think. Just pay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think you him. just pay your way. Yeah. <laughs> How unromantic cash, is yeah. that? You know, we I think it is a test. Well, my mum did the citizenship for Australia, and that was a hard test for her. So I um, I think, yeah, to, to come over, I think I'll have to study up, but... Yeah, Lucy will give me a hand. Well, I was about to say because your missus is watching on. So you got to be careful what you say. But you, but you see, you know, you see your future in this. You, you, you love it over there. I mean, it's, it's yeah. kind of changed your life since you came to London, really. Yeah, isn't definitely. It? He's it's moving to Oldham. It's, are you? Yeah, uh, he's, he's, he's giving me. Speak to me afterwards. Light. I'll tell you. Yeah, he's, he's giving me the green light flash. Um, <laughs> I want it. 
yeah, yeah, I, I love it over here and, you know, I've got my partner over here and, you know, I feel like I've got a family over here now, so it's, it's, it's great. So I, um, I'm in no rush at all to, to go back home. We're not shutting the door completely, but, you know, we're, we're buying a place and, and sort of settling down a bit, you know. So you say this, Luke, but I've seen it with so many players, you know, you so start so performing like that and suddenly the big lights <laughs> of the NRL come flashing. Sound like Vince McMahon. Supposed to be like a sort of old man Hollywood voice, yeah, you know. You know old come man. on, Luke. Just be honest with you. Yeah, I'm like I'm. Um, I'm not. I'm not shutting any door on on, on anything um, like that. But you know, I've so I've got another two years after this at Huds, and you know, I'd I'd love to stay and uh, if, if as long as they'll keep me. That's what he said at Salford, wasn't it? When he signed mm. that new deal as well. Hey. <laughs> the lawyers are still working out the that's it. the small. He's going to stay at the Giants and hopefully become a Giant. <laughs> yeah, that's the plan. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm not. Yeah, I'm not pigeonholed into any yeah. anything. You know, we'll uh, we'll we'll cross them bridges as it comes. Yeah. Mate, thank you so much for coming in. It's been really yeah. good to, Cheers, to get to Thanks know you. Cheers for staying in the coffee shop for seven hours. Uh, so, yeah, you forced, <laughs> forced onto the podcast. But what a good guest, Mark. What Great a good, well done. It's one of the best things you've done on the podcast. It's Added some like value for once. We should just, if, you, if you are just wandering around Mark's um, coffee shop and you want to come on the podcast, just find him. Um, did, did, you, did you even get a discount on your lunch no, earlier? No, I'll get him a coffee. Two coffees and we have on toast. How much? Um, that's million, about 30 quid in here. Probably the same transfer fee that Huddersfield paid for you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, I'll, I'll get you a coffee tomorrow, don't worry. Mate, great nice. coffee, great coffee. Danny. Luke, top man, thanks so much, mate. And uh, let's hope you go all the way in, the, in that Challenge Cup. Could, you could be in a Challenge Cup final with fans. How nice would that be? Oh, mate, I want that As opposed to, yeah. to yeah. the dead ting, which you had to experience at uh, Wembley last time. Um, Luke, top man, thank you very much. And um, just a reminder to the sort of, uh, the, if you are a robber or a thief, John Wilkins' property is empty. Yeah, still um, on holiday. For, I mean, you're not going to know when this is going out, but I can give you a date. We're recording yeah. this right now. It's the 11th of April at 7.08. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we're recording this. And um, John Wilkins' property will be vacant for, I think, another six or seven I'm days. Back so on Saturday. If you so are a robber, uh, keys under the flower pot, out the back, little sort of pink hipster flower pot out the back that yeah. John and keep, uh, Fran keep the keys under. And um, help yourself. And we'll see you next time on Out of Your see League. You Give time. us a little follow. Give us a review. Out of your Five stars. RL on, uh, on Twitter. Go on Spotify. Go on Apple Podcasts, actually, and write a comment. There's some interesting ones about John Wilkin on there. Yeah. So keep those. YouTube, as they say in Yorkshire. We're 4.8. We're 4.8 out of 5. It's not good enough. We mm. should be 5. All the other sure. podcasts are pathetic. We should be 5. And, and we didn't even win the award, by the way. We didn't even win the, the, the Sports Podcast Award. I don't know where we came, Mark. I don't know if we got on the podium, but we didn't get Bronze, to got put our, our dinner jackets on and celebrate that. So here's to next year. If you keep giving us nice reviews, we might win something. Thanks for listening. See you next time.